You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this, you'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute, Genghis Khan spent most of his life getting busy conquering one of the largest empires in history. But in his downtime, he got busy in another way. We'll examine the consequences that are still with us today. If you create something and it finds an audience and catches on, shouldn't you be able to protect it under some sort of copyright provision? Well, yes and no. And the new Winnie the Pooh movie features Pooh Bear doing what? Minions, Morbius, two movies, one a box office success and one a box office failure. So what do they have in common? Turns out quite a lot, but on very different ends of a very strange spectrum. All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. So Dave, it's been a while, but in one of our really early episodes of the show, we talked about a guy named Ari Nagel. He was nicknamed the Sperminator. Do you remember our discussion on Ari Nagel? How could I forget? Now, what's interesting about him, now correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't he, like, after a substantial amount of time had passed after that episode, like perhaps like a, the, the tweet from the commute account about that episode? Yeah, it was over a year after we like put the Like the actual guy. Out. Yeah, it was over a year, and I just, you know, have Twitter notifications on my phone, and it popped up, and it was like, Ari Nagel liked this tweet. And I was like, that name sounds really familiar. Who is that? Because I'd forgotten because it had been so long. And then I clicked on it. I was like, that's the guy liking the tweet about us talking about him. I don't know if he's a fan of the show. You know, he's, he's welcome to come on and discuss his 70-plus children. I was going to say, Ari, if you are listening to the show, if you're a fan of the show, we see you. We don't understand you, but we see you. <laughs> well, we're going to one-up Ari Nagel today, and we're going to talk about Genghis Khan. Do you remember learning about Genghis Khan in uh, high school history uh, it class? Just didn't, really just didn't name. Yeah, if you didn't pay much attention in history class, Genghis Khan was a warlord <laughs> who expanded the territory of the Mongol Empire to this massive scale, did this really brutal conquest right around the late 12th century and into the early 13th century. And he's known for leaving these massive trails of destruction behind him. And he's responsible for the deaths of millions, literally, of people. Uh, And, you know, Dave, as a teacher, I've been a teacher for about 10 years, I've taught world history for a long time. And there's just kind of like some things, because history is like really really wild. And uh, there's some things you just don't tell kids who are 14 or 15 years old, but this is a podcast. And so we can talk about whatever we want. So I'm going to tell you about it here. (laughs) So the Mongols behind Genghis Khan were actually known for wiping out entire cities under the leadership of Genghis Khan. One of his most famous quotes, if you want to get to know him a little bit better, uh, Dave, it goes like this. It says, quote, the greatest joy for a man is to defeat his enemies, to drive them before him, to take from them all they possess, to see those that they love in tears, to ride their horses, and to hold their wives and daughters in his arms. And Dave, at the height of the Mongol Empire he built, Genghis Khan ruled over most of modern-day Russia, China, Iraq, Korea, Eastern Europe, and India, and he had slaughtered an estimated 40 million people on his way to do it. 
Now, we have quite a bit of documentation today about Genghis Khan, even though he died eight centuries ago, from civilizations who wrote about him. And while he may be best known for bringing destruction, we also know that his legacy also includes bringing life into the world. As much as the man had a thirst for death, he seemed to have just as much of a thirst for reproducing. Now, Dave, historians have always known that Genghis Khan had a lot of kids. There were many documented through his six wives, but we also know that he made it a habit of stepping outside of those six marriages as he conquered more territory across the world. But the extent of the children that Genghis Khan had, that was sort of a mystery to some degree. Then, in 2003, an international group of experts decided to analyze the genes of people living in the former Mongol Empire to determine just how widespread the genetic legacy of Genghis Khan really was. A study titled The Genetic Legacy of the Mongols, published in the American Journal of Human Genetics, stunned historians and scientists with some pretty astounding findings. Researchers took 5,000 blood samples over a 10-year period for more than 40 populations living within and around the former Mongol Empire and found a common Y-chromosomal lineage within 16 of the populations, totaling about 8% of the men in the region who carry it, bringing the total projected number to an estimated 16 million men today, and thus making up 0.5% of the entire Higher world's population that shares this Y chromosome. Now, this doesn't sound like a lot until you do the math and realize that this means that one in every 200 men alive today are descendants of Genghis Khan. Now, does this tell us how many women Khan impregnated? Well, that's a little murkier, although some scholars put the number probably around more than a thousand women. What makes it more difficult to solidify too, Dave, is that no one has ever found the burial site of Genghis Khan's body. Having some real genetic material could really help resolve some of the gray areas, like, for instance, researchers could identify women who are descendants of Genghis Khan, because researchers at the moment are limited to only identifying lineage through Y chromosomes, which only men have. Researchers were left to trace his genetics through sort of known ancestors from Khan, from like a 1,000-year-old lineage. So there were some limitations in the research. The spread of his genetics and the spread of his empire here are directly related, though. Without the empire expanding to the size that it did, Genghis Khan wouldn't have been able to father so many children so far and wide. Obviously, Genghis Khan himself fathered a lot of children, but then since being a descendant of Genghis Khan was revered across many differing cultures, his bloodline typically meant status, which meant that it was passed more widely from there. But overall, Dave, the size of the empire obviously had a pretty big impact on history, but the size of the family tree clearly is having an impact into the modern day, too. Like, let's be honest, Genghis Khan is a pretty cool name. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a very cool name. <laughs> 40 million people dead, but man, that name. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying he did anything honorable. I'm just saying it's a cool, cool name. So that led me to the trusted website, WorldWideInterweb.com, which I'm sure you visit quite frequently, uh, and their list of the 25 greatest names in the history of mankind. So they had people submit either a driver's license, a yearbook picture, maybe, maybe a snapshot of the credits from a movie. And here's some of the names on the top 25 greatest names of all time. We've got Speed Weed. <laughs> We've got Jed, I, middle initial, Knight. We've got... Get out of here with that. We've, <laughs> we've got uh, Bud. 
Light. <laughs> of course. And we've got uh, one of my, my personal favorites, Chris P. Bacon. <laughs> Jay, you know, we come across things in life every once in a while that just feel wrong. You know, just one of those things where you know it when you see it. It just feels like it's, it makes you feel weird. Like, I'll give you an example. Okay, so a few years ago, we had a cookout, and one of my really great buddies, and to protect him from public ridicule, I'll only refer to him by his first name and last initial. So Eric M., is how we'll refer to him. So my buddy Eric M. came to this cookout, and everyone was hanging out, enjoying themselves, and I didn't realize that we ran out of hamburger buns. Well, Eric M. was still hungry after already consuming what I'm guessing were his fair share of burgers. So what's a somehow still hungry guy to do? Well, he improvised, using cookies in place of the buns creating the monstrosity now known around these parts as the cookie burger. Jay, it's just wrong. <laughs> I was there, and there are two things that, I re- that, are, that are funny about it. One is that I walked in on him uh, in the kitchen, and he was doing this alone. Like, he was not <laughs> trying to get anyone to laugh. He was doing it in shame in the corner alone. And the second thing that's funny about it shame. is that to this day, everyone just still brings it up so it's been years and still we'll be at a cookout and somebody will walk up to him and be like are you gonna take those two cookies and put it on that burger and he's like man it's been like seven years like let it go and it's like i, I can't <laughs> he's just it's his thing now well something else that feels wrong like eric with the cookie burger is eventually coming to a theater near you well it doesn't have a release date yet jay it soon will a horror comedy movie starring Winnie the Pooh. Yes, you heard me right. A horror movie starring Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, finished filming in May of this year, of 2022. And according to the published plot, the film will follow a demonic Winnie the Pooh and his buddy Piglet as they go on a rampage after being abandoned by a college-bound Christopher Robin. (laughs) Christopher Robin is pulled away from them, and he's not given them food. It's made Pooh of Piglet's life quite difficult, the film's director, Ray's Waterfield, told Variety magazine. Because they've had to fend for themselves so much, they've essentially become feral. So they've gone back to their animal roots. They're no longer tame. They're like a vicious bear and pig who want to go around and try and find prey. So, Jay, how the heck did this happen? How is it legal for someone to ruin the spotless reputation of lovable Winnie the Pooh? Well, this nightmare is made possible by a little something called the public domain. How did our beloved Pooh Bear end up in the public domain? Well, for starters, the public domain, Jay, is basically a list full of unprotected creative works that can be used freely without risk of copyright or trademark infringement. These works, like author A.A. Milne's classic Winnie the Pooh, can all find themselves there for a variety of reasons. For starters, and in the case of Milne, created works can enter the public domain if the duration of the copyright has expired. So, in the U.S., for example, the copyright terms of a book expires 70 years after the death of its author. A.A. Milne passed away in 1956, so here we are. 
Some additional ways that works can enter the public domain include if the work was produced by the U.S. federal government, which means it cannot be given copyright protection because, you know, the government. Also, it can land in the public domain if it's something that has been produced but never put into a tangible format. So this would include speeches or comedy routines that haven't been formally written out. J, also things like procedures, methods, systems, processes, basically the way we carry out a task. These things would fall into the public domain so anyone could use them. You could not trademark a process. But back to Winnie. Sure, A.A. Milne has been dead for a long time, but haven't we seen recent versions of Winnie the Pooh produced by Disney? Can't Disney stop this nightmare from happening? Well, as with most things, it's a little complicated. Yes, both cartoon and live-action movies featuring the classic bear and his woodland creature friends have been a constant fixture on Disney's production schedule, including the 2018 live-action feature film Christopher Robin. But while Disney owns the copyright to some Winnie the Pooh, it doesn't own all Winnie the Pooh. The early version of Pooh Bear lacks copyright protection, but not the Disney version. Disney does retain exclusive rights to its version of the bear, which is the little red-shirt, pantsless fellow we've all grown to love. But the old version, the one that will soon be foaming at the mouth on a murderous rampage, resembled more of a lumberjack, which is how he will be portrayed in the film. How about the other characters, like the lovable Tigger or the constantly depressed Eeyore? Well, Tigger is thankfully still protected, so he won't appear. As for Eeyore... Well, he'll be featured on a tombstone, perhaps a victim of Pooh's paying for the sins of Christopher Robin. But either way, Jay, nothing good lasts forever. Hey, I'm not mad about it. I mean, you know, it's time for a fresh take on Winnie the Pooh. It's the 21st century. Let's get away from uh, the old stuff. Let's get into something new. You going to go see it? (laughs) No, definitely not. If you look at a screenshot of it, you will be mad about it. Oh, bother. You do the old bother. Let's see how you can do it. Oh, bother. That's, that's the worst. I think mine's a little, I think mine's a little better than yours. Life. No, <laughs> yours went like kind of British. Oh, bother. No honey. So, Dave, a couple weeks ago, you and I and a couple of our other friends were going to see a movie, and as we were walking in, we passed the poster for the movie Minions Rise of Gru, and I turned to you and I said, "Uh, Dave, have you seen the thing about all the kids uh, going to see this movie all wearing suits? And you were like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And so I wrote this segment for you. Thank you, because I still have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Let me educate you here, okay? So the movie Minions Rise of Gru had a pretty great last month at the box office, passing expectations by millions of dollars. Uh, And when a movie blows past projections like this, there has to be some driving force behind it, whether it be like good reviews or just like a good marketing campaign. And in this case, the reason behind this is hilarious, but also difficult to understand. 
So on the social media site TikTok, a trend took off kind of out of nowhere called Gentle Minions associated with this film in which groups of young adults and teens bought tickets to see the movie wearing suits and ties and oftentimes carrying cigars. Now, obviously, this isn't the only driving force behind the film having this massive box office, but it is a factor. Social media sites across the board loved the trend, and pretty soon it appeared on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat as well, driving more and more teens to participate and then post about it, driving the joke forward towards more ticket sales. Now, while by itself, this is just an interesting pop culture trend because it's weird and it's always so unclear how these things start, it stands in sharp contrast to a movie released in theaters not long before Minions, which attempted to capitalize on a trend like this called Morbius. Morbius, a superhero movie produced by Sony, starring Jared Leto as a vampire anti-hero in their ever-expanding Spider-Man universe of films, uh, originally debuted to a pretty less-than-stellar box office and never really caught on with audiences or critics. And after the film left theaters, social media sites began to run wild with jokes about the film, mostly by creating fake hype around the movie. And this ironic fandom seemed to confuse Sony, who mistook it for actual fandom and then took it as a sign to re-release Morbius in theaters, which they did and lost millions of dollars. In fact, Dave, on re-release weekend, Morbius made a grand total of $300,000 in the entire United States, which is an absolute bomb. And executives at Sony have to be scratching their heads here too because they're looking at this Minions movie, pulling in all these millions of dollars off of an internet joke that they seemingly had no hand in creating, while Sony witnessed the rise of internet culture surrounding their movie and re-released it in hopes of capitalizing only to see not going to see the movie as adopted as part of the joke. In fact, Dave, after the re-release flopped, petitions for a third re-release began circulating online (laughs) with titles like, Sony, please re-release Morbius again. We were busy that weekend. (laughs) And I think, Dave, what's interesting here is just how volatile and organic social media movements like this are. Jokes around culture happen organically and some spread in a positive way for some, but in a negative way for others. Take movies like Shrek and your favorite, the B-movie, which have become core subjects of internet memes and jokes for years now, catapulting those films to very successful and profitable second lives. But Dave, I think too, we can't totally hang the success or failure of films on internet culture. The Minions movie, believe it or not, was actually pretty well reviewed. And when the first movie featuring the Minions released, teens going to see it today were kids and they probably saw it. Morbius, by contrast, was pretty poorly reviewed across the board and sort of entered our culture at a time when superhero-based movies are sort of giving audiences fatigue because there's so many. 
internet culture around movies can have an effect, sure, but these success and failure from a box office standpoint of these two movies, it was probably already sort of written before TikTok got involved. And at the end of the day, I think this is a great example, though, of the blindness of those who run these film industries to know what internet engagement will actually translate to real dollars. Sony paid the price by misinterpreting it, and Minions rode the wave of it unintentionally. Maybe in the future, movie studios should employ a teenager or two who can decipher it all for them. I'm telling you, I've said it once, and I'll say it again. B-movie is not bad. It's pretty good. I mean, Jerry Seinfeld wrote it. You know, though, like when you watch something when you're younger and you think it's really good and then you go back and you watch it as an adult and you're like, uh. Which what's really funny about that is, um, so one of my favorite movies still today, it holds up and actually hits differently as a dad, is Goofy Movie. So Goofy Movie came out in 1995. It's incredible. But, I mean, I was in college and a friend of mine had this same thought about a movie called Chipmunk Adventure. And we went to the store and bought this movie about Alvin and the Chipmunks that came out in like 93, Chipmunk Adventure. We watched maybe seven, eight minutes. Yeah, it's going to pain me to say this, but um, we, a few years back, convinced you, me and a couple other people, convinced you to watch a movie called The Big Green, which was about a soccer team, like an underdog soccer team. And we were, and all forced. of us had watched it as kids, but you had never seen it. And so all of us hadn't watched it since we were kids. And we were all like, oh my gosh, this movie's so good. Like, we watched it all the time when we were kids. I can't believe you've never seen it. And so we forced you to sit down and watch it. And what enraged me by the end was that I realized, because you kept saying, like, this movie's not good. And by the end, I was like, he is right. Like, this movie's so bad. Vindication, baby. <laughs> It, it just, you know, I, I, I could hold on to that out of spite and pretend like it's good, but it's just not. Maybe I, I apologize too quickly. I have nothing to apologize for. You should actually apologize to me <laughs> for making me watch it. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on your favorite podcast network. We're on social. Check us out. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jason, and I'm Dave Trop. We'll see you next week. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of local news in my hometown because it was such a small town. There wasn't really a lot going on. And uh, one time, the front page of our newspaper in our hometown uh, was the, the headline was Shark Sighting. And it was a whole article about a guy who had legally changed his name to Great White Shark. <laughs> that, was the he- that was the front page of our newspaper. That's how exciting <laughs> our small town was.